So we are continuing our study of Luke, and, and as we're waking our way again, we are in these final chapters. In fact, today, as we're in chapters 19 and 20, this uh, is the transition in the book, uh, in the gospel, towards the final week of Jesus' life. In fact, today we're going to be in Luke 19. There are two very famous stories in Luke 19 that we're going to look at today. And so as we do that, again, I just encourage you to open your Bible with me to, to Luke chapter 19. Like you said, we're working our way through this, and now we are in kind of the last few weeks, right, of the gospel. Uh, we're going to end this series on Labor Day weekend, which is where we'll get to chapter 24, and that's the, the last of Luke. Um, but as we look at that, like I said, this is, chapter 19 is the transition because there are two very famous stories we're going to look at today. First is the story of Zacchaeus. Okay, so we're going to look at that story first, and then, but the next story right after that is the triumphal entry. Okay, and that is on Palm Sunday, right? And that is the start of Holy Week, traditionally. Um, and that's where Jesus enters Jerusalem, and, and which starts, again, the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And so as we look at these different stories, um, you see, we see this turning point, right, uh, in the book. And so, again, it also implies we just have a few weeks left of this series. But this morning, we're going to jump right into the text. Like I said, this very famous story is found in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, you can open up and read along with me. Um, if you don't have your own Bible with you and you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. Um, if you're with us online, you can hopefully have your Bible as well um, as we open up to Luke 19. If you don't have your own Bible, you can just listen as I read it. Um, but we're going to read the story of Zacchaeus, uh, verses 1 through 10. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So now as we look at this story, again, in this, um, this very famous story, this is a very popular story. Um, this is one that finds its way into every children's Bible, right? And, and you know, kids' Sunday school class, this is one of the stories that, that is often taught. And for good reason. I mean, this is, this is a, a good story. However, you know, usually when we teach it, especially in those contexts, we teach it as a standalone story, right? We look at it of just this is, and it is a significant story, and, it's, and there's lots of things we're going to look at today of why it's such a significant story. But I just encourage you to think about as we've been following along through the gospel and, and seeing the different lessons that Jesus teaches through these parables and these stories that have been leading up to this one, because this is one of those final stories right before that triumphal entry. Right, where Jesus, again, changes phases of his ministry. 
And, and, and as we see him work through this plan, I, I challenge you today to look at this story and how it fits into everything that we've been studying up to this point. Okay, we've seen these different sections, these stories, these parables, right, where Jesus is, is again, focusing on the Pharisees and the religious leaders, right, and, and, and comparing them to even those that are far away from God, that don't know, right, and, and how they're kind of at odds with each other. And, and then, we, you know, those teachings that we saw all lead up and they, they culminate into these, those three famous stories we looked at with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, and the lost sons. Right? And then we saw last week as we moved into the next few chapters, 17 and 18, where he shifts from the religious leaders and kind of calling them out to where he calls out the disciples, right? Those closest to Jesus. And he, he, he gives these, these different challenges to them. And, and again, the, but the, the, the common theme through all of these stories is the mission of the Messiah, right? Which is to save. Right? And, and that he didn't come to save any just the disciples. He didn't come to just save the Pharisees or religious leaders. He didn't come to just save the, the, the Jews, right, or those that were already committed or that were living by the law, right? As scripture tells us throughout the gospels, right, that God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? And, and his mission was to save the world, right? That is God's will and heart is to save all of us. Right? And as we see this kind of progression, right, and these different perspectives of who God is and their, their reaction to, to Jesus and to his teachings and to his challenges, then we see now that this story with Zacchaeus is actually a culmination of all of these teachings that all come together in this one story. Okay, because notice Zacchaeus was um, identified very specifically. Right? He was the chief tax collector of the region. Okay, this was a man of prominence, of position, of vast resources, right? The text tells us he was very rich. And yet, Jesus approaches Zacchaeus in, in a very different way, right, than what he approached everybody else leading up through these stories and through these parables and through these teachings. Okay, he comes to Zacchaeus, and, and again, um, he pursued, Jesus pursued Zacchaeus, right? Jesus calls him out. In fact, it's, the text is very clear to point out that he called him by name, right? This was a strategic move by Jesus, Hey, this was not kind of like, you know, Jesus going around like, man, I'm hungry. Who should I, who should I call out to give me dinner, right? Like, it, that, that's, that was not Jesus' motivation. Jesus knew what he was doing when he went into Jericho, right? He called Zacchaeus by name. Hey, but then, what the interesting thing, I think the most important thing about this story, right, is the fact that, isn't the fact that Jesus was pursuing Zacchaeus. In fact, we've already seen this teaching over and over again, right, of, of how Jesus pursued the religious leaders, and he challenged them. He pursued the disciples. He called, that's where we started with the gospel, right? He called the disciples out and called them to follow him, and they did. They, we see how he's called all of these different people, and they've, they've come to, to Jesus, right, in all these different ways. And yet here, Jesus pursues Zacchaeus very specifically, 
And just we've already seen through these teachings and through these last chapters, right, whether it's the sons and the sheep and, and all of these different things, right, that they, they, God is pursuing you. He pursues all of us because, again, what is God's will? To save the world. Right? He wants none to perish. Okay, that is the heart of God. And so he's already pursuing you. But the question becomes, how will I respond to that? Right? And that's what Jesus called out. He's called out the religious leaders because they responded very differently than the disciples responded. Right? And here we see now he calls out a whole different person, right? Zacchaeus. And yet Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. So that's the kind of question I want to look at in this story is what is your reaction when God pursues you? How are you going to react? Right? And we talked about last week that... that the grace and faith, right? Grace is God's part. He's already responded and pursued you with his grace, right? And faith is, is our reaction. That's our part of reacting to God, right? Is I will respond in faith. How am I going to react when God pursues me? Okay, we, we can learn from Zacchaeus, okay, in a lot of ways. The first thing that we see that happens with Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus puts aside his own dignity and pride. Okay, he puts aside his own dignity and pride. Because, again, this starts out, right, with him being hindered by the crowd. Okay, and this kind of sets up the story, right? That, and, and it says that he, he couldn't see over the crowd. He was hindered. They were in his way. He couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't pursue Jesus, right? Like, he had already responded to, to, with effort to find Jesus, right, to, to see him, to experience just him walking by, right? And so he, he's already responding in faith. Right? Because he knew that Jesus was coming, but yet it says he was hindered by the crowd. And, and to the point where it, it says that he was literally running around trying to figure it out and then ends up literally climbing a tree just to get a glimpse. Right? He is going to stop at nothing to, to see Jesus. And yet it's interesting that as he's hindered, because um, any man in that culture with the title chief in front of your name, is not used to being hindered by anybody. Right? This guy was in a prominent place in that culture. Now, obviously not among the religious elite because he was a chief tax collector, right? But this was a man of power and position. He was used to people catering to him. Right, and yet this, he's presented with a different situation, right? He is now hindered by the crowd. And yet his reaction is, I will stop at nothing to even get a glimpse of Jesus. And then we see, um, right, that Jesus continues to pursue Zacchaeus, right, as he calls him out by name. Right? And he puts down his dignity and pride. Again, this is a man of prominence, a position that is literally climbing a tree. Right? He's just kind of laying it down, right? And then we also see in the midst of this, Jesus' ongoing inter interaction with the Pharisees and religious leaders of the time. Because right? they also heard that Jesus was coming. Right? And notice this time he doesn't call them out, he calls out Zacchaeus. And they have a stark reaction right, to what Jesus does. Right? And we see this, that, that again, Jesus moves on right, from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and then now he calls out this tax collector, right? And we see a very different reaction, 
Because, again, what is his reaction? In verse 6, we see, it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. You know, we've already seen that Jesus has, has shared meals in the Pharisees and religious leaders' homes. Okay, we've seen he's been in all kinds of homes. Like I said, Jesus likes a dinner party. Right, and he's gone to all these different places, and yet here, right, he calls out Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus... I'm going to your house tonight, buddy. Right? And this is his reaction, right? Excitement and joy. He says, yeah, come, Jesus. Let's do this. Right? This is beyond what Zacchaeus wanted, right? He was fighting for even a glimpse of him, and yet now Zacchaeus just says, it, whatever you want, like, let's, I'm all in. You know, and Jesus, again, invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, and by him doing that, he's instilling honor back to Zacchaeus. Because again, this crowd was a mixed crowd. There were tax collectors, there were Pharisees, right? There were, their disciples were there, there were prominent people, there were low people. There, there was a crowd, right? At this point in Jesus' life, right? This is leading into the final week of his life. Jesus had not just gone viral. I mean, Jesus creates a stir everywhere he goes at this point. Right? And, and as Jesus in, instills honor back towards Zacchaeus, right? as he's drawing these large crowds, and yet Jesus exalts him. Right? He exalts Zacchaeus. And Jesus would exalt again, anyone in the community that he identifies with. Right? This is like he's reached that status. It's like this is one of those moments of like, wow, Jesus knows my name. Right? And he calls Zacchaeus, again, by his name. Right? And in that, again, he, and, and he instills honor back towards him. And then, again, we see this exchange going in between, between Jesus and Zacchaeus, right? This is progressing through the story as these different exchanges go. Right? Jesus pursues him, Zacchaeus responds, and then Jesus takes the next step. And then Zacchaeus responds again right? and goes to a deeper step. Hey, because, again, what's the next thing that Zacchaeus does? Okay, his next reaction to Jesus is Zacchaeus gives Jesus his entire heart. Right? He started out with giving him his home right, and, and food and, and hospitality. And then, like I said, then Jesus steps, pushes back right, and, and pursues him further. And then Zacchaeus' response right, is he gives him his entire heart. Now, it's, again, it's, Luke is very strategic in his telling of the story that he identifies Zacchaeus as a very rich man. Okay? Because as we've seen through the gospel, right, is that wealth has not been, been given a very good light so far through the gospel. Right? In fact, that culminated, we saw in the story, right, um, just a few chapters ago, of where he says that, where Jesus literally says it, it's, it's impossible for a rich man to be saved. Right? And that's the whole eye, camel through the eye of a needle deal, if you remember that. Right? And we see that, and then here we get a very different reaction by a very rich man. Right? Because what did he say? Right? Again, it's still going to the point is that your wealth, nothing that you have yourself, you cannot save yourself. Right? Your wealth won't do it. Your works won't do it. You cannot save yourself. Right? And that was Jesus' point. Right? Again, it's not about the money. It's always about your heart. It's always about your heart, right? Whether it's your money, whether it's your actions, whether it's 
any of it. It's always, that's what God cares about. And again, we see in, in chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus speaks against the rich. In chapter 12, verses 16 and 20, the rich farmer is called a fool by Jesus. In chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, the, the rich man goes to Hades while poor Lazarus goes to heaven. In chapter 18, verse 23 and 25, the rich young ruler leaves Jesus sad. Right? And that's the whole, when Jesus says about the camel and the eye of the needle. And we see again, the rich have not been given in a positive light throughout the gospel until this moment. Right? Because what happens here? We see again this reaction in verse 8. And it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And I'll get, he has cheated people on his taxes, by the way. That's how tax collectors get rich. Right? And he was very rich. And so we see again this reaction, right? This is the first reaction of a wealthy person in the gospel that is in a positive light. And and to where, again, he's, he's more worried about his connection to Jesus than he is about his money. Right? And that his heart is in the right place. Again, the amount of money is not the point here. Right? It's his heart condition. Right? That is what is different. And so here we see for the first time in the gospel, right, that Zacchaeus is a rich person and an outcast and yet is saved. Right? And that is exactly what we see. Again, contrasting this passage from Luke 18, right, where the camel threw the needle. And guess what? It's impossible for Zacchaeus to save himself, but yet he is saved, right, because he surrenders himself to Jesus. Right? He surrenders his heart to Jesus. In fact, that's the exact, again, um, response of Jesus, right? Again, we see this back and forth between Zacchaeus and Jesus through this entire story. And then we see here Jesus kind of, right, makes the, the last move towards Zacchaeus, right, as, as, as the story's concluded in verses 9 and 10, where it says, then Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son um, of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Once again, this story about Zacchaeus is the climax of this phase of Jesus' public ministry. What did the Messiah come to do? To seek and save those that were lost. Right? And we've been taught that in so many different ways up until this point. Jesus came to do the impossible, right? To find what was lost, to redeem the unredeemable, to love the unlovable in a way that the world has never experienced before. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Not just to Zacchaeus, right? But he puts a bow on top of his public ministry, and says, this is the mission of the Messiah, to bring life to what is dead, to bring truth and light to what is dark, right? to find what has been lost. But what's our reaction going to be? Because the reality is God pursues us with the same passion he showed Zacchaeus. 
And will we respond like Zacchaeus responds, or will we respond like we've seen others respond? Will we set aside our dignity and pride? Will we give Jesus our entire heart? Right? Will we surrender to his will? Will we even change our entire lifestyle if that's what it takes? To put Jesus first. And notice, what does Jesus tell him? He says he's a true son of Abraham, right? He goes straight to his identity. Right? And he calls him, his name is where he, he starts the story, and he ends the story with transforming his identity, right, to a true son of Abraham. And by the way, that was also a really big dig to the religious leaders. <laughs> he's still poking that bear. And as, as we see this, right, um, uh, the, the next, the next um, phase of Jesus' work in the gospel, okay, is that now the next story is, is the parable in Luke 19, 11 through 27, which um, is, is, the, is the foreshadowing, okay, of Jesus being a different king. Okay, and, and that's where Jesus goes, and in fact, that's where it all culminates right into Pilate, where Jesus tells him that his kingdom is not of this world. Right, that he's a different kind of king. Okay, and we see that there's, there's this parable of the ten servants and, and about how the king interacts with them. Again, we're not going to dive deep into that, but that is a foreshadowing of, again, the, the, of this bow we just put on his public ministry with Zacchaeus. And now Jesus, is, again, teaches that, hey, I, I am a king, but it's a different kind of king. Right, and then we move into the final phase of Jesus' earthly public ministry uh, in Luke 19, verses 28 through 40, and this is the triumphal entry. Okay, we're going to read this text. Uh, Luke 19, picking up at verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they, as they were uh, untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply said, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. You know, as, as we see this, again, this story of, of the triumphal entry and, and of, again, this is a, a huge moment, right? In fact, there is a, a list of Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled with this event. Okay, and as we see all of this, again, this is confirmation again to, to, to everybody that's ever studied it, right, that Jesus is the true Messiah. Hey, and as we see this story unfold, we, we see again the, the chosen Messiah entering the holy city of Jerusalem. 
Again, this is the first big event that ushers the last week of Jesus' earthly life. This is one where we get to Easter and a Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. Right? As we look at, um, at, at this, right, that God is continuing his work. And the interesting thing is there's all kinds of different people and interactions, even in this story and in, in, in this um, culmination right, of Jesus' ministry. That God is at work. And I think we can all sit back and, like I said, we acknowledge God is still at work today, just like he was then. Like I said, we see evidences of that in lots of different ways, whether it's the answered prayers, right, or, or the growth in my own faith or the growth in, in lots of different ways, right? We see God is actively working in the world today. Okay, we know that to be true, just like he was through Jesus. But the question then, just like as we see this, this interaction between Zacchaeus and Jesus, right, what's our, not just what our reaction is going to be, but how are we going to engage in what God is doing? Are, are we going to be a part of God's effort, right, in building his kingdom that is not of this world? Right? Or will we have a different reaction? And we see all kinds of different ways that people engage with Jesus in this story. And I just want to point out a couple of those different ones right? as we look at all of the different roles that are present in this story, in this very historically significant event of the triumphal entry. Okay, we see several different roles and in interactions with Jesus. First off is we see the disciples. Right? And they are given very specific instructions by Jesus on what to do and how they're going to fulfill all these different prophecies. Right? Again, go untie the coal, bring it here, do this, do that, right? All these different things. And they are in this role, they are the detail-oriented, the get-it-done person. Right? They work through all the logistics, right? They follow the steps that Jesus laid out, right? And they execute and they follow through. They, and, and they do it exactly the way that Jesus tells them. They, again, these, um, these are the people that oftentimes we never see. And the reality is, is for, for me to stand on this stage and deliver God's word on a Sunday morning, there is a list of people that do all kinds of things to make this happen. Okay, and these are the, the detail-oriented, the get-it-done type of people, right? They're serving in all kinds of different roles and, and all the different preparation and, and everything that happens, right, for for just Sunday morning to be done. And we're so very thankful for these people. If you're one of those people, thank you. Right, and as we look at that, right, um, because the reality is, if without those people, right, the end result would be very different. Okay, and without those people, it's going to all end up on, on a few people's shoulders, and then those people get tired, and they get burnt out, right? And then it's not sustainable. Okay, and that's it's one of the reasons that God is building his kingdom through the church, right? Because we need each other. Right, and as we see, again, this role of the disciples, and notice, again, they just do exactly what Jesus tells them to do, right? Even when it might not even make sense, right? I mean, literally, Jesus tells them, go into this town and steal a donkey, right? And that's what they do. Now, again, I'm I not, not one to really argue with God's will very much, right? I'm like, hey, if God's telling you to do something, do it. But, you know, again, if he tells you to go steal something, maybe we should have a conversation about it before you do it. Okay, like, confirm that, right, before you go do it. If it's not straight out of the mouth of Jesus, like, you know, let's, let's, let's test that, that voice. 
They bet, I mean, that's what he tells them to do, right? And they go do it, right? And it happens exactly as he tells them to do it, right? And they follow through. Again, if, if you find yourself being this person, make sure you follow through, right? Make sure you do it exactly as God tells you to do it. Okay, now the next thing, right, is, is the people that, that the disciples stole the donkey from, okay, the cult owners. Okay, these are the providers in the story. Okay, they have the resources that God needs. Okay, whether it's resources, time, talent, dollars, right, whatever it is, they, they have what God needs to accomplish to the next phase of God's plan, right, and they provide. The interesting thing, right, is, again, the cult owners are mentioned in the story, in the text, right? They, are, they said they are there, right, and they are aware of what they have, right? They've taken good care of this donkey, right, and in fact, to where it's even tied up in the right place. Right? And again, they've done their due diligence. They've been good stewards of what they've been given. But the interesting thing is we, don't, we, we don't, aren't told what their reaction is. Right? Again, the disciples just go and they say exactly what Jesus tells them to say. And then in the very next sentence, they're walking with the stolen donkey. Right? And we, we, ne- we never hear what, what the cult owner's response is. Now, obviously, it's implied, right? Because they have it. Right? And again, which means that it probably really wasn't stolen, right? They got permission. Right? But again, we don't, we don't know that. Right? But, but we know they get the donkey. Right? So again, we, need, we have these providers, right? In fact, again, as we've, as we've seen these different roles, right, of, of, the, of the rich people and how, again, that, the money can get in the way of your faith. And yet then we see with Zacchaeus how, how money can also be a tool that God uses, Right? If, it's, if the heart is in the right place. And we see, again, these providers, right? Um, again, they, they, they had taken good care of their stuff. Because, and we know that they cared about it because they asked about them taking it. Right? But we don't know their response to the disciples. But we know that, again, they were allowed to take it. Again, their attitude that's implied is, well, if the Lord needs it, then do what you got to do. Right? Well, you can, ha- you can have it. Again, the reality is, right, that, that God will reward people with wealth so that it can be used for his glory. Right? And we do see that all through scripture as well. Right? So, again, you, you can follow God truthfully and be wealthy. And the, the next role that we see in this story is the crowd. And this is very interesting. The crowd that Jesus has, has attracted at this point, right, their role is literally to praise and worship. Right, they create a scene right, of this, this historic event as Jesus rides this donkey down the Mount of Olives. They, they again, in, as we see in other gospel accounts, they get palm branches Right? They wave them, they sing, they shout, they, they praise. Right? They, they, they throw down their coats, right? They, they pave the way for the incoming king. Right? And, and, and we see the role here is, is that they, they praise right? and they worship. Hey, this, is, this is a big source of encouragement. 
right, for these first two roles, right, for those that are working diligently behind the scenes and all the details, right, and, and the get-it-done people, for those that donate and the providers, right, and, and the resources and the money, right, to make it happen, right, these are the people then that, that when they see the praise and, and the, 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 how Jesus uses all of those efforts, right, for his glory, and, and again, that's, we see that, that, that praise and that worship, right, and the results of all of that work which is incredible encouragement to those people. I tell you, several years ago, I, I took a team to an IYC, just like our, our team went to, to San Antonio this year. Brian took them. Um, again, I took a team of, of student leaders with me down to IYC, and I was on a national team with the Church of God, and I was, I was, I was part of the detail people behind the scenes, getting things done and making it work. And, and I took this group of students with me down there, and, and one of the things we did, and we served for the entire week of that conference, Right, and they were helping behind the scenes. And one of the things that we did on one of the main session nights was we went in, us with some other leaders, and we went into the main place, auditorium, for the, for the main session that night, and we literally walked through and prayed over every seat in that auditorium. Okay, and, and, and we, we went through that, right? I mean, and it was just, it was quiet. It, there was not, but just, us, we went in and we just prayed through the seats. Right, and just prayed for God to work. And in that moment, I, I, with the experience with those students, right, they kind of did it, and they were, they were very underwhelmed, right? They were just like, really? Like, is, does this even matter? And I'm like, just do it. Just trust me. Just do it. Right? And, and we did that. And then that night, again, at that, they, we were in that, that, that event, right, that service. And, and the speaker was powerful, and the music was great, and, and the altar call was this huge rush of people forward. Right, and now, and, and which that was awesome, right? But, but I bring it up to say, right, is that in that moment, I, I remember this, I looked down the row at all of those kids, right, and they were all just sitting there mesmerized. Again, none of them went forward, right? Now, these were all pretty mature students in their faith, and, and like, but then we sat back and we talked about that night, and we're like, See, that was the payoff. That was when they, they understood that, like, hey, that hour we spent praying through those chairs was worth it. Right? Because we saw God's spirit move in the lives of those other students. Right? And, and we saw, again, the praise and the worship. And in that moment, then, then our praise and worship got to a whole new level at that point. Right? And because and, and they, they got it, right? They understood that it's all worth it, right? Because somebody's going to praise. Right? And, and in fact, that's the, the last verse, but we're going to look at that in a moment. But I want to look at one more role. Okay, see, all of these are in positive lights, right? We have, though, the, the other role is the Pharisees, right? And the religious leaders, right? They were the critics. Okay, they pointed out, right, what was done wrong. They pointed out that, hey, maybe this isn't the king you think he is. Now, the critic oftentimes gets a bad rap. Right? This is the person that always points out what's wrong. Hey, now, sometimes they, they really are there to, to thwart what God is doing. Right? And again, the enemy can work through that, right? And through, through division. Hey, but but the, the other side of it is that, is that if you, and we all know critical people, right? We all know those people, right? You see their name on the email, right? And you're like, 
right before you even open it, right? That's like one of those, I, I joked with one of my youth parents that when I was a youth pastor, and I joked with, I didn't really do it, but I, I told him, I'm like, I saved his number in my phone, right, so that when he called me, I'd see his name, and I'd put after his name, pray first. <laughs> you know, just so I'd see that before I answered it, right? Now, again, to say, we know these critics, right? We know these people. Hey, but just, there's this tool that I use in, as a part of premarital counseling, and we, I do this, um, this personality profile deal, and what it, what it does in this is it, it puts personalities into four different countries. Hey, and this, this was a, a big, big, big perspective change for me. Hey, one of the things, and these are the four countries that it puts in, the control country, the fun country, the perfect country, and the peace country. And it puts these people into these, just their personality in these different countries. Hey, now, again, we can all identify with these different ones. We all have little parts of this one. But the interesting, why I bring it up is, is, is for the perfect country person. You know, the perfect country person is, they are the critic. They're the ones, they always see what's wrong because they want everything to be perfect. Right? And in fact, the, the, the interesting thing about that person, about that type of personality, is that if they don't care, they will literally just ignore you. Right? You'll never hear them at all. Right? But the person who has that perfect country personality, the way that they show they care is by pointing out what's not perfect. Right? And so, again, if, if you are the critic, right, if, if that's who you are, right, then just, I mean, know that about yourself, right? But, but that's the way you show that you care is if you, if you, if you point out what's not right. Because if they don't care, you'll never hear from them. Right? But they don't know how else to communicate the fact that they care because they want it to be so perfect. Right? And they, they, their motivation, again, their heart, is genuine. Hey, now, if you're not the critic, right, you need to realize that you need those people in your life. Right? And, and that, that sometimes what they tell you is actually the truth. Right? And that, that it can be, again, we can see it if you're not the critic, right? You can change your perspective about, hey, that person might actually help me be better. Right? And see it as a source of accountability, not as a source of condemnation, right? But also, though, if you are the critic, if that's where you are, is I think you also need to realize that sometimes you're wrong. Right? That what you see is not always the whole picture. Right? Because there might be all these other roles behind the scenes that you know nothing about. Right? And maybe that's what you need to see. Hey, but I just bring this up and say we see all of these things. And, and again, depending on where you are, where your personality is at, how your interaction, what God, the gifts that God's given you, right? With the culmination of this story ends up in Luke 19, verse 40. Right? And that's where he, he, Jesus replies, again, to the critics. Right? And he says, but if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. And as we see this, uh, again, this, this is actually, this is a really cool verse. Right? And this is an awesome concept. Right? Because the fact is that, that God is worthy to be praised. He is the only thing worthy of our worship. Right? And, and if we worship anything else, it's misdirected. Right? And yet, Jesus tells them, he says, hey, I, all of these roles, as it comes out, like, they need to praise. Right? They, 
They need to contribute, right? They need to take care of the details. We need all of these. We even need the critics, right, to, to help us be better, right, and to grow and to move. And he's like, all of these happen, and yet it all culminates to this fact, is that if we don't fulfill our role, then just creation will cry out because God is worthy to be praised. And God is at work, and God is pursuing you, and God loves you, and God wants to save you, and God wants to transform you. And if you hinder it, it will break through in any way it has to. If we don't praise, then the rocks will cry out. Because God is God. And he is in charge, and he is sovereign, and his will will go forward. So again, it comes down to us, how are we going to react to Jesus? He's pursuing you. <laughs> are you going to pursue him back? He already loves you. Are you going to love him back? He wants to save you. Will you let him? Will you surrender? He wants to grow your faith. Will you let it happen? Again, our praise looks different, even depending on these different roles, right? Your praise looks different. But you've got to praise, and you've got to do what God's telling you to do. It's all important. So which one are you? What's going to be your response? How are you going to respond when God pursues you, when he calls you out by name? by the way, he's doing that right now. He's calling you out by name. And he's saying, I love you. And I want you to grow in your own faith and I want you to help me build my kingdom. And what's going to be our response? Will we cry out or are we going to let the rocks do it? I don't want to let the rocks do it. Right? We got to do it. Church, we got to do it. So which role are you? How are you going to respond to Jesus? It brings you to my final thought, and that's this. Maybe. Um, there one more thought, right? No matter how, ex how you express your involvement, you need to be involved, right? Be involved, church. Right? What's your response to Jesus going to be? Okay, and this is the final thought. Jesus is the one true king. And he is still seeking to find what's been lost. So how involved are you in his plan to redeem the world? How involved are you? Are you involved? You need to get involved. Okay, and, and what's the next step of that journey? Right? Because maybe the first step of that journey is you being redeemed. Yourself. Your own heart. Right? Your own salvation. If, if you're lost, get found by Jesus. Right? Get, be redeemed. If you are redeemed, then what's the next step? How is God calling you to be involved? Will you follow through with that? God's calling you out by name. Right? Respond to him. God, that is our prayer this morning, is that you would change us. God, you would change everything. God, we praise you that you are the one true king. And God, that you're a different kind of king. Lord, your kingdom is not of this world. But yet you've called us into this world, God, to build your kingdom. And Lord, we, we pray that it, it would start with our own hearts. God, that you would change our hearts, change our perspective. God, that we would go forward in our faith with you. And God, we know that then we are to, to respond to that and to use what you've given us, Lord, for your glory to build your kingdom. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that we would respond to you. We would take that step of our faith. We would commit to a group or we would sign up to be baptized 
where we'd start reading our Bible every day. And we would pursue your kingdom beyond us, God, and invite people, share the gospel with them, shine your light in the dark corners of this world. God, as we go this week, Lord, we will respond. We will praise you. We will not let the rocks stand in our place. And as we go, Lord, guide us with your spirit. In Jesus' name.